Welcome to the Wealthy Homes Podcast, where we help young Michigan families manage their finances and create wealth. I'm your host, Connor Bowserman, financial advisor with Preferred Financial Group. Welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Homes Podcast. In this week's episode, we're going to be doing a deep dive into estate planning. And to help me do that, I brought on Jessica Brando, who is the owner and estate planning attorney for Law Office of Jessica Brando in Bout Creek, Michigan. So with that, thanks, Jessica. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So if you could just give a little introduction to yourself so that way those who don't know you can get to know you a little bit. Sure. Um, Yeah, like you said, I'm an estate planning attorney here in Battle Creek. My practice is a little bit different in that I don't have a physical location. I just go out and meet people in public, meet them at their homes if they're comfortable with that. I kind of consider myself a mobile attorney, so I come to you. I think that really helps me service my clients better. And, you know, helps me keep costs down. So a little bit different in that regard. But as far as my background, education, I went to the University of Arkansas for my undergrad and for law school. And right out of law school, I started working for an estate planning attorney and really grew to love this area of law, decided this is what I wanted to do. And here I am. Awesome. So kind of a little bit more of a background on you. Are you married? Do you have kids? Kind of the stuff that probably professional relationships don't know about you. Yeah, I am married. I'll be five years in October. He's Michigan born and bred and we have great family, two girls, just uh, had a newborn a couple months ago now. And so you're in the thick of it then. We are, yes. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. So kind of what brought you to Michigan? You said you were from Arkansas. What kind of brought you back? So I came up to Michigan um, when when I got married, when we got engaged, actually. Okay. Um, he's lived here his whole life. He works over at Kellogg, and you know we we love it, love okay. it up here. So awesome. Really growing to awesome. love this as our home. Was it much of a a difference for you? I mean, Arkansas is pretty hot. Yeah. To, to go from there to to <laughs> Definitely Michigan. Definitely still getting used to the winters. Okay. Um, yep. I think the year we had the polar vortex was my first winter in Michigan. <laughs> oh, so that was a nice welcome. Okay. <laughs> So you've been specializing in estate planning. If you could, let's just kind of start at like the basic level for any of the listeners. What would be step one? You meet with them, kind of what do you go through, especially if they were like a young family? Sure. My initial consultation is always the first step. So I meet with the clients and we will review their entire situation. So I'm going to be, you know, and I really try to make it a conversation. You know, what are your concerns? what are your goals? Tell me about your family. What's the family situation? Do you have kids? You know, I want to get a a complete idea of what their situation is so that I can better tailor a plan to what they actually need. Okay. And so that it does address the things that that are concerning to them or what they want to make sure they accomplish with their estate plan. Okay. Um, Part of that review is always looking at all their assets. You know, do you own a home? What kind of retirement accounts do you have? life insurance, you know, I'm looking at all the different pieces of the puzzle to really make sure that we do a comprehensive review of what they have and what they need. Okay, perfect. On a percentage level with the clients that you meet with, what percentage of the time do you use a will for, you know, especially young family or the clients that you meet with? Sure. I will say probably with younger families, they tend to go more for the wills. It often encompasses what they need more so. But certainly if they have, you know, extra concerns, especially with minor kids, or if there are a lot of assets, then sometimes we might start looking more at the trust route, 
really depends on the circumstance and how complex their situation is. Okay. What's the biggest benefit for the will for like a young family? Is it just the strictly the cost or is it just that it kind of checks the majority of the boxes for a young family? A lot of times it is the cost. And then I think it is also, you know, for where they are in, in, at that point in their lives, a will is sufficient for what they need. You know, maybe they don't have as many assets at that point, but they want to make sure their kids are taken care of. Okay. You know, some, a lot of times that is the main concern for them is that they have their guardianship provisions lined up and that is accomplished through a will. Okay. So that's kind of like the main thing that you would kind of shoot for, for a will for a young family. Right. Yeah. Okay. Kind of walk me through how you set that up for them or kind of give them some recommendations. Cause as you know, probably family dynamics are very different from family to family. So oh, like for ours, we're really close to, to both of our parents. And so it's really easy for us to probably use them. But for some family dynamics, they don't have maybe both parents or they only have one side, but they're, they live far away kind of how does that work? How do you walk them through that process? Exactly. And it really is walking them through it. It's, you know, discussing all those things, the things that they don't think about. You know, a lot of times people come in and they have a set idea. They already know who they want to be guardians and, you know, it's good for them. But a lot of other times people will come in and they don't know what they want or who they should appoint. And so that's really where I have to step in and say, okay, well, let's think this through. You know, your parents, how old are they? I mean, are we talking about grandparents who are in their 70s or 80s? Are they going to be in a position to take care of right. really young minor kids if something were to happen to them? You know, and sometimes they don't think about that. Or like you said, location. You know, if we're talking about people who are across the country and the young kids have never been to that state, mm -hmm. you know, it's just things that they have to consider. A lot of people do tend to go immediately to family, but sometimes you have friends or people from church, you know, who may be in a better position to, to be a guardian for your kids. Okay. Um, so it is just really kind of trying to ask the right questions so that they can think those things through and, and then come to a decision, you know, based on what they discover. Okay. Are a lot of the questions that you ask, like based around like how you want to raise your kids, like religion and like That's always part of it. viewpoints, sometimes political. I know that kind of gets in there too, but yeah. those types of questions. That is definitely a part of it. Um, you know, my husband and I did this for our kids recently, and those were questions we had to ask, you know. You know, when we appoint somebody, are we going to feel comfortable knowing that they're going to raise our kids how, you know, how we want them to be raised with the right values? And so that is definitely a part of the puzzle. Okay. So besides naming guardianship, what other aspects does a will kind of fit for a young family? So a will... Essentially, it really just gives you a lot of control. So, you know, you're not only appointing your guardians, but you're also saying, okay, who's going to take care of our kids financially? Is that going to be the same person as the guardians? It doesn't have to be. You know, sometimes you might say, okay, well, we want these people to have the physical custody, but somebody else will be in charge of the money and we'll make sure that they're, you know, getting the things that they need. Right. So that can be two separate people and that can be taken care of in a will. Um, additionally, a will just allows you to really direct where specific assets go or how things are distributed. You know, is it an equal distribution between your kids or does one get more? Okay. Or are you going to have other beneficiaries? You know, maybe you want something to go to some charity mm -hmm. or other family members. A will okay. really gives you that ability to create an exact plan tailored to what you want. Gotcha. So I know from my side of the fence, wills, the downside of that is that they typically go through probate. So when would you maybe move them more to like a trust and a will at the same time to kind of mitigate not going to probate? Sure. 
certainly if, if, you know, avoiding probate is, is the main goal, then a will is not necessarily the way to go. It can be accomplished. There are other things that we can look at and make sure that, you know, beneficiary designations are correct. Mm-hmm. You know, try to really make sure that those things are in order along with a will. But certainly when we start looking and we have a lot of assets or we have high value assets, then I'm going to be more inclined to say, I think we should look at the trust route. Um, There's just a lot of benefit that comes to a trust, you know, avoiding probate, a lot more privacy for the trust. There's a lot more ability to direct things, a lot more controlled distributions in a trust that you don't necessarily get with a will. Um, So there are definitely a lot of benefits to having a trust. Okay. Just kind of a little bit of insight just before we kind of go into to the trust a little bit more. If you could, I know you kind of described this a little bit in the pre-podcast, but what is like a will and a trust and all that cost? Because I know for some people they're like, they want to know that ahead of time going in, but you and I both know that you can't really service a client until you know them and get to know what their needs are. But just in general, could you tell them kind of like pricing on that kind of? Yeah. You know, I would say generally for my services, and of course every attorney is different. Every office is going to be different. You know, for my services, I would say for a single person needing just a will and maybe some basic powers of attorney, that would probably be, you know, somewhere around $500 up to the to the higher end would be, you know, a married couple needing a joint trust with powers of attorney and a lot of asset transfers and all of that, which may be, you know, looking closer at 3000 3500 on the okay. upper range of things. Okay. Um, but like you said, you know, every every client who comes in is so different. Their situation is so different. You know, for that reason, I really like to sit down with that initial consultation to discover what it is they need. And that way I can give them a very exact look at here's what I recommend and here's what it's going to cost you. Might hit you with a curveball here. I know, especially the younger generation, we're very apt to go do things on our own or do them online for, you know, quote unquote cheaper. So have you run into some situations where people have done that and it hasn't worked out the best? You know, I have, <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we all know they're out there, legal zoom and all the things you can access online to create your documents, you know, get them notarized. You know, the thing I caution and, um, I have actually had some people that I know who did this, they were going out on a trip and had initially said they wanted to come sit down with me and get some things drawn up ended up deciding to do it online, got back from the trip and discovered that everything they had done, none of it was valid because they hadn't executed it properly. So, you know, I think it's just really, it's important to be cautious with those things because every state law is different. So you don't know if, if that document is going to conform with Michigan law. Okay. You need to make sure that things are executed properly. And, you know, going through the process of the attorney, you're going to have that guarantee of knowing that, that those things are in order. Gotcha. So kind of move on to the next point And this is kind of one of my favorite part because I am very interested in this as well. But what kind of happens when you don't have a will or a trust set up? We'll kind of throw some examples out there. Let's say you're a married couple and both the father and the mother were to decease in a car accident. Kind of what happens to the kids? You know, how does the Michigan law and the testacy laws say this is what's going to happen? Any person who dies without an estate plan, without a will or a trust, they die what's called intestate. So it means, you know, without a will. And Michigan law, every state has laws that direct how things go. And they're all so different. I mean, even between Arkansas and Michigan, the, the laws are very different on how things are handled in that situation. Um, in your specific scenario that you asked about, you know, we've got a married couple who's passed away essentially at the same time. So that mm-hmm. 
that's the very first question. How do you determine who passed away first? Because by law, you do have to decide, did mom pass first or did dad pass first? Okay. Because that does direct how things are going to be distributed in the long run. So, you know, there's a set of laws called the intestate succession that really basically gives all these formulas on how things are distributed between heirs and children, depending on how the person has passed away and who survived them. Gotcha. Does it typically go to like parents then of the deceased or does it then go to like the oldest sibling that they've got kind of like in general, what happens? Yeah, it's, it's really a whole, like you could almost envision it like a flow chart, you know? So it's like, okay, the person passed away. Did they have a surviving spouse? No. Did they have surviving kids? You know, no. Okay. If there were no kids and no grandkids, then yeah, we're going back up to, okay, parents, are our parents still living? And if they are, then it goes to parents. And if not, then we start going down, okay, siblings, nieces and nephews, going back okay. up to grandparents. It's just, it really is just like you kind of go through the whole step until you find the heirs that are gotcha. still living. For guardianships, like say there were minor children, does is it just kind of whoever wants to step up to the plate at that point in time because they haven't named a guardian that gets to be the guardian of the children? Or is it kind of like an automatic, like, hey, you're going to the parents? of you know the father or the mother and then if someone wants to have guardianship they come in like how does that work so um typically it would be somebody who would be stepping up first to say you know i want to take responsibility for these kids but that is not an automatic process so that is still going to go through the courts through family court you know a family judge is going to have to decide whether that's in the best interest of the child. So that will be a whole process. And that's very similar to like any other guardianship case where you're going to have home studies, you know, and and, um, that person's really going to be looked into to make sure that they're in a good position financially and physically, you know, in their home, all of those elements that they can take care of of a minor child. Okay. Let's say someone is not married, but they do have kids. Kind of what happens then? Is it just like an automatic to the parents? Or how does that work? If they do have kids, um, the intestate laws do say that everything goes to their surviving children. That can become an issue, you know, because I've had clients. I had a client who was not married to the person who had passed away, but had been living. They've been living together for 20 plus years. And at that point, it's like you're almost essentially married at that mm-hmm. point, you know. And she was having to deal with, with, the, with the other heirs and trying to get something, you know, of okay. his. But unfortunately, the, the laws was just not behind her, you know. But yes, yeah, so in that situation, you know, it would go to the kids first. It really only goes back up to parents if there's no surviving spouse and there's no surviving children or grandchildren. Okay. That brings up a great point for people who aren't married but are together. When does that person have the right, you know, if they are technically a parent? If like they're not married, like how does that work? It, it certainly causes some, it can cause some concern, right? I mean... By law, if they're not serve, if they're not an actual spouse, then they don't get anything, but their kids would. Okay. And if you're talking about minor kids, then what happens? You know, you don't want minor kids to be getting a huge inheritance outright. You know, mm-hmm. just hand you know a ten year old a bunch of cash. That doesn't work. So that's where you know it just gets more and more complicated, and the courts get more and more involved because you're having to start talking about guardianships and conservatorships. And, you know, really making sure that these kids are taken care of and that, you know, their their money is being well handled. Kind of in your experience, what is the average time that people go through probate? 
I guess in the best case scenario and the worst case scenario, someone who didn't have an estate plan at all, didn't leave anything and they went to intestate versus somebody who did have like at least a will or, or a trust. Sure. I would say for an intestate probate, best case scenario, maybe six months to a year. Again, you know, it really depends on who all the heirs are. How much time are we spending to find the heirs? You know, if it's a really, if there aren't any immediate heirs and we're having to like publish notice and try to locate people, that could take a long time. Okay. For somebody who does have a will, again, depending on the number of assets they have, I would say probably six months to a year on a good on the good side. I've certainly worked on probates that have lasted two to three years. Okay just because they've been complicated or they've been, you know, issues that have arisen, mm-hmm. conflicts that have arisen between beneficiaries, you know, any, any number of thing, things can happen. Okay. Have you run into situations where they've created multiple wills, where they've maybe written out a piece of paper and signed it and I guess technically had a <laughs> witness versus maybe something like they went to an attorney and had a will set up? Like, have you run into a situation like that? So I personally have not dealt with that, but I've certainly heard stories. There are statutes that should guide, you know, how to handle that situation. Usually Mm -hmm. the the will that was created last would be the one that would control unless there is some way to contest it or say, hey, you know, they weren't in their right mind when they did this. But, you know, that that also is a process because it takes, you know, having to prove that that person didn't have capacity when they prepared the newer will. Okay, makes sense. So a lot of especially kids maybe my age or a little bit older, they start thinking about their parents or their grandparents. When would be a time that you would really push somebody to say, hey, once you've kind of hit this mark, you need to have an estate plan, like no doubt. Um, when, what would be that kind of trigger point? You know, that's a hard question to answer because for me, everybody has an estate and everyone should have at least a basic estate plan. Certainly, I think anyone who's reaching retirement age, if they don't have a a will or a trust in place, that's really a good time to start thinking about it. You know, you're going into retirement, you know, starting to make plans for the future. I feel like a lot of my clients are often around that age. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of when they start thinking and coming to me for an estate plan. So if I had to absolutely answer that question, it would probably be. Okay. Yeah, at least around that. I figured it was around that age. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when do you think, for especially for a young family, is it the first kid? Is it once you've kind of got a house and some assets kind of set up to start up like a small estate plan? Like kind of what is your trigger point for someone who's younger? For a younger family, I definitely recommend, you know, when you start having kids, when you have, you know, even one baby, just think, you know, if something were to happen to both parents, what's going to happen with our baby? And if that's concerning to you, then that's a good time to come in and sit down with somebody and say, okay, we need to make a plan just in case. Okay. Makes sense. Kind of what is something crazy that you've kind of run across when you've gone through the intestacy laws? Like what's kind of one that's just thrown you through a loop when you're like, (laughs) that makes no sense. Don't understand why it's like that. Do you have an example of that? Um, You know, I, I can think of a number of different kind of crazy scenarios that I've seen in just my short time practicing law, I think it was just pretty recently we had a client who come in and it was very unfortunate that his father had passed away and had had a, a new wife, f- fairly recent new wife, um, who under the intestacy laws were going to get the, basically everything in his estate. Him and his siblings were not very happy about that because his dad had owned a house that was had been in the family for many generations. And the new wife just wouldn't work with them and try to, you know, figure out right. how to 
to balance that. She was trying to sell the house. They wanted to buy it. She didn't want to let them buy it. It was just a whole mess, and it was very unfortunate. And it was unfortunate that there really wasn't much we could do about it because she she had the statutes. She had the law behind her right. on that. We've kind of run into that a couple of times with clients, and they get mad, too, if they name them as a beneficiary because obviously that's the trump card if they named them as a mm-hmm. beneficiary even though the will might say something different if the beneficiaries say it's going to the spouse or the girlfriend like right that's where it's going yeah but yeah that's that's a good point so kind of to wrap things up here this is a question i give kind of everybody who comes on what's one piece of advice you would give another young family mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be estate planning <laughs> it could be literally anything yeah you know, um, I mean, I kind of touched on our, on it a little bit already, but I really think that it's it's never too early to have an estate plan, at least to have something, you know, basic. A lot of people, especially younger people, I think, you know, oh, I don't own a house or I don't have a whole lot of assets, mm-hmm. so I don't really need it. But, you know, if you start really thinking about it, where would you want your money to go to if something were to happen to you? And if it's not, you know, to your parents then you need to have an estate plan because that's what the law says. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really think that that's, I think everybody needs an estate plan. I think everybody can benefit from, from at least having the discussion with an estate planning attorney. Okay. Yeah. I know I've even run into, especially with younger people, they'll start their 401ks or they'll start these assets before they're married. And so they've listed their parents or their brother or sister, and then they do get married and, they forgot to change the beneficiary. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's a discussion when I'm r- walking through it, like, hey, just so you know, you're 40 now and you have a significant amount of money and you left your brother the beneficiary, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but technically it should be still your spouse, like by law. Like, would that be a situation where technically it should be your spouse if they haven't signed off on it? So um, that's an interesting question because I think when when you set up a beneficiary before you're married, there are some states where a spouse is required to sign off if you're not naming your spouse mm-hmm. as a beneficiary. Michigan is not one of them. So I think in that case, the brother would still take under what the beneficiary des- designation is. Okay. Um, but that does bring up a good point. And just another you know, thing I will throw out there is it's a very good idea to review your estate plan. You know, if mm-hmm. you... If, you know, if your listeners are out there thinking, oh, well, I have an estate plan and it hasn't been reviewed in 20 plus years, sit down with somebody, go over it, see what it says, make sure your beneficiary designations are how they should be. The recommendation is every five to seven years. I usually try to contact my clients every five years just to remind them, hey, would you like to come in for a review? Mm-hmm. And so I would highly recommend that for anybody who has an estate plan, but maybe needs to make sure there's no updates needed. Great point. So if anybody was interested in reaching out to you, what are the best ways that they could get a hold of you? Sure. So my phone number is 269-888-WILL, so 9455. I'm also on Facebook. It's at Jessica Brando Law, so B-R-A-N-D-O-W. And then my website is brando-law.com. Okay, perfect. I'll include that all in the show notes as well. But thanks. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to be here. Thank you for listening to the Wealthy Homes Podcast. Be sure to click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Connor Bowsman or Preferred Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of Connor Bowsman or other qualified financial advisors with any questions you may have regarding this episode. Connor Bowserman is a licensed financial advisor and any of the investment advisory services offered are through Harbor Investments, member SPIC. Products and services provided are not NCUA insured, have no credit union guarantee, and may lose value. Consumers Professional Credit Union and Marshall Community Credit Union and Harbor Investments are separate and independent companies, and credit unions are not providing security services.